Hi, I'm Courtney Brown at Emory University. Welcome to my class in science fiction and politics. All right, so today we're talking about John Scalzi's novel, The Second Second Period. We're talking about uh, red shirts. And we were going to start with passages that that you have picked out, plus articles or topics that you think would be that would be good with it. So why don't we start with that? Who has a, a passage that they'd like to, to read out of this? Go ahead, Brent. Go um, ahead. So I want to talk about how, um, how advanced the medical technology has gotten in this book. And, okay. Um, so what page are you thinking? Uh, I think the best passage was 284. Um, 284. So um, this is going to... Uh, the, uh, the writer of the, uh, the TV series, um, uh-huh. yeah. when his son uh, had the motorcycle accident, um, and they, uh, they saved him. Um, Actually, it's, it's the producer of the series. Go, go uh, ahead. Uh, yeah. yeah. But, uh, yeah, it's about a little bit more than halfway down 284. Um, just, okay, uh, there's nothing relating to the accident at all. Yeah. Um, so there's nothing related to that, relating to the accident at all. The, bra- the abrasions that scrape the skin off much of your right arm, gone. The scar that would make where your tibia tore through to the surface of your left leg, missing. The bruises up and down your abdomen, where your ribs popped and snapped and shredded muscle and blood vessels inside of you. Not a hint they ever existed. Um, I-, I could keep going, but I think... Keep, that, read, it, read a little more. Okay. Um, you spent most of an hour in front of the mirror glancing at your medical records for specific incidents of trauma and then looking back into the glass of the evidence of what's written there. There isn't any. You are in the sort of unblemished health that only someone in their early 20s can be. It's like the accident never happened or, at the very least, never happened to you. Um, okay. And uh, I just wanted to connect this to um, Desaro. In the book, they are talking about how, like, they, I think it was like they, they're like dealing with like DNA or something where they they could um, manipulate it to like solve like a, like fix a disease cure a disease or in this case they did it, or they um, the technology was sophisticated enough to uh, save the sun and um, I wanted to connect that to uh, IBM the uh, IBM's com- um, supercomputer Watson which okay. was made famous by Jeopardy. Um, how he could like outsmart some of the best Jeopardy contestants ever on the show. Um, they're using that supercomputer now to try and find cures to certain types of cancer. And um, I thought that was pretty similar to uh, what was going on in the book. So uh, I, I just have like a quick, uh, just a quick article. Um, uh, it's from the Seattle Times. I'm from Seattle. So, mm-hmm. uh, but. Uh, IBM this starts. IBM is teaming up with the New York Genome Center to help fight brain cancer. The company said Wednesday that its Watson Cloud Computing System will be used in partnership with the New York-based Genetic Research Center to help develop treatments for glioblastoma, the most common type of brain cancer in U.S. adults. Time definitely, definitely is not on your side when you have glioblastoma, and that's where Watson comes in. Dr. Robert Darnell, New York Genomes President, CEO and scientific director said at a Wednesday event announcing the deal. Um, I don't know if I should read the whole article. I should have picked specific parts, but um, let's see. Uh, but uh, basically, the uh, the IBM supercomputer they're using it to. It's it's not like a regular computer. It actually can learn from what it's already done. So. Um, it can learn from its mistakes and learn what's worked and what hasn't worked, and they're trying to do that. They're trying to use this to uh, find potential cures for this brain cancer, and then most likely later on in the future other types of cancers or diseases. So uh, I wanted to connect this to in the future um, what implications it has. And um, if you look back, for example, with automobiles, when they invented the uh, seat belt, the uh, probability of you surviving an accident. Um, went up dramatically, and as a result, um, it's kind of odd, the amount of accidents actually went up after they embedded the, the, uh, the seatbelt. So my argument is if, um, say, for example, this kid can survive a motorcycle accident going 45 miles an hour, um, it's going to make it make people more willing to take risks because if the, uh, if the, um, 
if the pro or what's what I'm looking for? If the uh, if the the bad thing that happens from an accident yeah, 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 yeah. is no longer an issue, what's the point of taking things safe? So I think I'm still trying to I'm still trying to construct the argument here. I'm kind of struggling to make it into a formal statement, but uh, I'm I guess what I'm leaning towards is um, in the future if um, medical technology is so sophisticated, you can uh, you can basically take any risk. Or civilization is going to be just people are willing to take like much bigger risks because there's no incentive not to. Like, okay, so let's give some feedback on that. Go ahead. Uh, the idea that you're presenting here, it's like an actual proven theory in economics called moral hazard, and uh, this is sound. There's sound evidence behind it that when the cost of risky behavior is decreased, then the prevalence of risky behavior will increase. So yeah, you can I, work that I, in there. Yeah, I learned the uh, the seatbelt incident in my business economics class. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, okay. I remember that. Okay, what is what is some feedback on on this idea? Go ahead. I think it's kind of going against the notion of progress. It's saying that progress is bad in a way. Um, like anything that we think would help society is actually harming society because it's enabling them or they kind of think they can then hurt themselves and that this will save them. So it's kind of like they're reliant on this, but I don't know how much they should be reliant because yes, seatbelt saves lives, but they don't save all lives. Okay, okay. But now people are really, this comment is really oriented around sort of interpreting the novel as being in favor of technological advances, medical technological advances. And the comments that are being made are sort of along that line, too. Does anyone think that the, maybe this uh, isn't what the novel's about? Go ahead. <clears throat> I'm just uh, like, uh, looking through my philosophy notes for classes last semester, but um, it was uh, something about like how like if there's there's no consequences, then like. I don't really know where I'm going here, sorry. And if there's no, basically, I'm just reinforcing the point that there's like no consequences, then anyone will do anything. But I think that, I don't think it necessarily means that the book's for technology, because it doesn't mean that they're going to do, like, for good, you know. It doesn't mean that, like, the things that they do without consequences mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. are going to be for positive reasons. Okay. Okay. Um. Again, we're still focusing on just the, on the technology. Go ahead. It's kind of an issue of human nature. So if you take out the risks, will people still, or at least remove some of the risks, will it you know, encourage people to do something stupid or risky? And I think it depends on the person. I think there's a limit to the amount that you will, or how far you'll go in your risky behavior. All right, so now you're talking about the... I mean, it's like saying that if you take out all risks, then people are just going to go crazy and, I don't know, murder left and right because the people that they're killing can survive. Mm -hmm. I don't, and that's not going to happen, so there's a limit. Okay, so now you're talking... But is... Well, I don't think everyone would murder, but I think if there's no, like, fear of being put in jail, the people would be much more willing to murder. I'm sure there would still be consequences. Well, I mean... But is that what the novel's case. about, though? I mean, I'm sort of hearing... I'm hearing what you're saying and, and what you're commenting on, but I'm sort of wondering, is, is that what the novel's about? Is it really about advances in medical technology? and the good things that come about from it and the possible risks if we can fix things. Meaning, I want you to relate the novel to politics and society in as far out of way as possible. Now you have, in a sense, you're talking about the technology being used, people taking more risks if they can get things fixed, things like that. But is that what the novel's about? If you were to try to say, why did John Scalzi write this novel using science fiction? Did he just want to talk about how medical technology can do amazing stuff and how we're going to be able to do X, Y, and Z in the near future? Well, for me, when I was coming up with this idea, I just didn't want to. I just don't want to use the ultimate reality 
example of this because we've talked so much about it in the first class. I wanted to use this, another thing, and this was the thing that jumped out at me after the alternate reality. Okay, but, um, you know, the alternate reality thing was sort of an explanation of how the plot of the book could actually, in some weird, make some sense without just throwing the whole thing out and saying it's fantasy. And that's very large. It's a very big envelope, so you can still talk about that. Like, for example, if we were to look at one of Ursula Le Guin's novels, and we're supposed to look at the gender issue, or the dispossessed, are we supposed to be ignoring gender? Because we talk about it in class, meaning it's such a big topic. There's a whole bunch of things that we can talk about that we didn't directly address in class, because the whole book's about that. So you don't feel too shy to... The reason I was introducing all those topics, that the whole idea of multiple reality type of thing, is to put, to put some physics context. Remember, science, science fiction is always out there. It's always like pushing the edge of what is possible. It doesn't claim to be correct. It, it seems to come up with new ideas, what-if scenarios. And so the basic part of this what-if scenario is this concept of multiple realities and the issue of whether one reality could affect another. So that is actually profound. So um, that doesn't mean you have to ignore the entire issue, because that's, that's what the whole book is about. So you can't really ignore something sort of like that. So I, I don't want you to feel so limited that you, if we just mention some general issue, you can't talk about it in your paper. I was using it more in reference to particular countries. If you're Like if we use Somalia as an example of a failed state, don't everybody write papers about Somalia. Come up with a different country and find a scenario. It doesn't mean you don't talk about the failed state issue. Does it make sense? Mm. So I just don't want you to be stenographers and copy down what we do in class and then feed it back on your paper. I want you to come up with some original thought. But on the other hand, I want you to get the novel. I want you to know, you know like, what is the purpose behind the novel? Any thoughts? What do you think this novel is? Okay, let me give you an example. What if somebody detonates a bomb, an atomic bomb, in the context of this novel? Here you have a novel about a TV show bleeding through into another reality. And so people started dying in that reality. What if we have two realities and one, and one of them, someone detonates an atomic bomb? What is this? What is the implication coming from this novel? That the people on the other one would die as well. Something's going to happen to the other realities. Now, according to the theories that we were talking about last time, there, since it's uh, the theory of you know this macroization of quantum, of sort of the generalization of quantum mechanics into the macro world, is that there would be an infinite number of macro realities. And if there's an infinite number of macro-realities and someone detonates an atomic bomb, from the perspective of the novel, you know, zillions of realities would be affected by that. So there would be an incentive to make sure nobody detonates an atomic bomb <laughs> because it wouldn't just affect one reality. In the sense that if there's a really bleed-through, then if somebody dies in a TV show, somebody's really dying in another reality. Well, that's, that's a very profound statement if it's not just a TV show. In a TV show, you're having a connection between one reality and another. That's very Star Trekian, where they had two realities, sort of a, a, good, a good universe and an evil universe, okay? But what if there's more than one? I mean, more than two. What if there's an infinite number? Um, well, I know it's like... In the book, or the way it's presented in the novel, that seems very Star Trekian, but in reality, there's actually been a lot of research about twins um, and something happening to one or the other feeling pain, or even just spouses. A lot of times, when, if there's an older couple and one um, dies, the other one dies shortly after. There are a lot of connections between people that are kind of. That's a great weird. thing. The connections between people, connections between realities. What makes that connection? What is a show? People are watching the show and their emotions get involved. What if it's the emotions that are making the connection? 
we don't know what those emotions... Now, this connects with what you're saying. Mm-hmm. Could this be an insight into why people... Now, that's a great thing to write about, for example. You know, well, how why do... I'm sorry, go ahead. How could I solidify that more to write about it? Well, you have to sort of work on it, but mm-hmm. the whole idea that you're raising is that what makes what makes some person physically connected to another person is the emotional bond. And, you know, interestingly raised in a thought experiment by John Scalzi about different realities. And the emotions that are... Because when people watch the Star Trek... Or the the you know the Chronicles of the Intrepid uh, story they get emotionally evolved. Is it the emotions, the frequencies of the emotions that's making that connection, that's reaching out and <coughs> causing people to die in that other realm? Just like you know, I mean, we see it today when spouses die. There's an emotional connection between people, and what happens when there's an emotional connection that goes beyond a pair of people, but to a nation, and something catastrophic happens to that nation. So this emotional bonding, it it affects things. So, for example, in the Israeli situation, Palestinians have forever said, why should we be having a problem here with the Israelis when the whole thing started in Europe? Why doesn't Europe solve this thing? I mean, they were the ones who did the Holocaust. Why don't they fix it? Why, you know create a new nation somewhere else. I mean, Palestinians have sort, of, have sort of said that, sort of, you know. But the idea is, something that happened emotionally in Europe triggered a response emotionally where a large number of people said they needed a home. Where was the historic home? It was in that spot, historic Israel. So they created a new nation. The bonding between... Do you see how you can sort of link all types of ideas? Emotions are the things that are that power. And John Scalzi typically sort of experiments with this in his thought experiment about how emotions affect other people, reality, in terms of... I mean, you can draw these... T- you, you know, you can... You can experiment with this type of thing. But the idea is that you should try to find something that's in the novel and relate it to, in your case, that you just said the bonding between people, mm-hmm. one person, what happens when it happens to be millions of people and they need a place to go and they have a bonding, they end up in Palestine, turned into Israel. I mean, it's sort of, but it's that same thing. Something that happens in one place affects something that happens to the other. Mm-hmm. And is in fact the Palestinian sort of thinking really all that much different than the thought experiment that John Scalzi says, like, why should what happened in one place affect me over here in this other place? Why can't we have our TV show? Well, your TV show is killing us. <laughs> you know? So you can sort of make an analysis you know, how these emotional bonds transcend boundaries. And the Palestinians look at this segment and say, this happened like zillions of miles away from us. This is like, had nothing to do with us. This was in Germany and Poland and Russia and France. What does it have to do with us? Do you get the idea? That's like one reality affecting the other reality. So you can sort of blend that concept from the novel into the what is the force that draws things into it? It's the emotions that draw things in. When Israel was created, they were actually thinking of other places. They thought about Uganda. <laughs> that was actually one of the theories. They were actually thinking Uganda, and that would have caused a lot of problems. They actually didn't recognize that Uganda had a lot of people in it. I mean, they were actually thinking, you just put all those... The Jews from the Holocaust area put them in Uganda. They were also thinking New Zealand, that was relatively low population. Some people were thinking some places in Australia, you know, the desert outback area of Australia. I mean, that's literally what they were debating about. But it was the emotional bond that that the Jewish population had towards Palestine, towards Israel. They said no. And then when they got there, they had to start all over again because not only did they have to establish a state, they had to establish a language. So they said, if we're going, if we're establishing a country based on some historical stuff <laughs> that goes back to the Torah, well, we might as well bring back the language as well. Nobody spoke Hebrew. I mean, they spoke Yiddish, they spoke Russian, they spoke German. They weren't going to speak German in Israel. So it goes on like that. So they, everybody had to relearn a whole new language. So. Uh, this type of idea of sort of readjusting yourself, that's a huge level of transformation based on emotions that cross boundaries. 
I mean, do you see how you can take these ideas that John Scalzi is doing and throw them into like Never Neverland? You can throw them into like a whole other place and start talking about things. I don't want to put ideas in your mind, but you're the one that raised the emotional bond between people. So I'm sort of giving you a little help. Yeah, you're talking about two people, you can extend that, scale it out to many people. And the Israeli situation, you don't need to, to focus on that. There's, you know, for example, Afghanistan. How shocked Afghanistan's, Afghanistanis were when the whole country of the United States came down on them <laughs> because, because the, the Al-Qaeda people did something. I mean, most of the Afghanistanis said, the Al-Qaeda who? What did they do? Why are we being bombed? I mean, what did we do? That didn't have anything to do with us. That was the Al-Qaeda people. Do you get the idea? And suddenly the whole country, you know, the United States started to invade Afghanistan. Like, what happened to them? So it's sort of like these emotional things sort of transcend boundaries and places get affected when in fact um, there doesn't seem ordinary expected connection. I mean, probably the Afghanistanis were as surprised as anybody else when the whole 911 thing happened and the Al-Qaeda stuff. I mean, they probably woke up one morning and said, what? You mean, what, they're coming here? <laughs> this is crazy stuff. I mean, the top members of the Taliban may have known about it, but the general Afghanistanis were probably just as shocked as you and I. Well, that kind of goes into racial profiling. What's that? That kind of goes into racial profiling, where one, one member of a group um, does something, it's then the judgment is brought on the rest of their group. So... Actually, that's an interesting point. And they're worried about the emotional connections that do that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, actually, there were many Islamic people when the World Trade Center was being hit that said they were looking at that. Before they found out who the actual hijackers were, they said, I hope they don't have Islamic names. <laughs> that's what they were saying. Yeah, because then yeah. a lot of other Muslims were negatively treated afterwards. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it had sort of that... See, so, so, these emotional bonds affect things where you don't expect them. Right. So what is this whole problem of emotional bonds affecting somebody who is essentially an innocent bystander? Meaning they, it affects them, but they didn't have a real connection. What is that thing that, that these bonds, these emotional things that carry these phenomena that happen one place across borders into another place? Well, John Kelsey wrote about that in the novel, very fascinatingly, where you have two alternate universes. And you have two emotional things going on, and they got linked up, and you know, and they, so, and, and then you're sort of saying, and just sort of imagine, let's imagine a 911 situation in which the the plot was sort of going on, and you could see it before the actual planes crashed. Okay, you can sort of see a lot of Afghanistanis if they could watch it on TV. No, stop those guys. <laughs> if they crash into that thing, there's going to be war, and they're going to come and they're going to bomb us, and we're going to be... You can actually see it. So this is, you know, imagine a situation where you can actually see the process, because what's happening here, the television show is ongoing. Right. So unlike a situation where something happens and it's a sudden thing, the television show is not a sudden thing, it's a ongoing thing. But then once it's ongoing, you get efforts to try to intervene. So you can also talk about the difference between a sudden thing causing uh, this emotional sort of response versus a slow thing where you get intervention and then the book it, it, you know, it raises the issue of intervention. Do you get the idea? Mm -hmm. You going to work on that a little bit more? Yeah. Okay, don't be shy about addressing what the novel is really about. I have a quick question just about the story of the book. When um, the chronicles, uh, the chronicles of the intrepid, intrepid, um, when uh, the show's finished, when they like when they cancel the show, does that whole universe just like die or something? Or I'm kind of confused how that works. Like, well, you know, that's it's, it's left sort of open. But the idea is that when, when the, if the show gets canceled, then the people won't be dying because the people, the, the emotional, that's. You're actually you're asking you're actually asking me for the answer, but you're actually raising the possibility for something to write about. What happens when the show gets canceled? What would happen? What would happen to the? You don't think about just that the show gets canceled. Why was the show causing that linkage? 
to something, something, to something elsewhere. Whether that emotional bond, well, if the show gets canceled, then the emotions stop. I mean, you, you get the idea. You can. You're asking for an answer, but you're actually asking the question that's going to lead you to a provocative essay. I'm sort of hesitant to give you an answer for that. Okay. Okay. Go ahead. Um. I don't know how this relates to politics, but you talking about like the show and how the show gets like cancelled yeah. and all that and about like an alternate uh, reality. Um, isn't isn't it just like the same as the, have you ever seen the the Truman show? Yeah. It's just like it's like exactly the same storyline in that the um, this character gets raised from birth to know this uh, created world that this big director guy created. And he gets, he grows up in this world, thinking this is like the real world, and then as he he, he wants to be an explorer, so he he figures out that he can't like explore because like the world's too big, the world's too small, sorry, because it's like fake. So then basically an emotional uh, an emotional connection between the viewers and the the main uh, the protagonist, the main actor, who's actually Jim Carrey, uh, builds up, and the, the like a lot of the viewers like really want him to escape from the world that. They've mm-hmm. created that the direct directors created. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's like a really strong emotional connection, and then finally, when he does break out, then everyone's like really happy, and then that um, that you like that uh, reality, the reality of the the show actually ends. So like, I don't know how that relates to it, but basically, I I, I thought, saw like the emotional connection between the false reality and the actual reality. You're raising an interesting point. You see, you're comparing the novel now to another show. That's an interesting thing also to write about, if you can also extend that show to something that actually happens in real life. Um, You're making connections between a show and a novel, and that could be actually blended in to some real-world issue. Um, The novel on one side handling it this way, the show on the other side handling it similarly, connecting it to a real world issue. That's actually a very interesting way to produce a hook to grab your reader and bring it in. Maybe people haven't read the book, but a lot of people have seen the the movie. Yeah, you get the idea? A blockbuster hit. Was that? It was a blockbuster <laughs> it was a blockbuster hit, the movie. You see? So that's a great idea. You got to extend it, though. You can't extend it just to the movie. Actually, you could. You could write this thing. You could write this thing as a review, a movie review. You know, one of your essays could actually get by by making it a movie review, and say this is an idea that was spun around by John Scalzi in the novel. This is a review, and pretend the review. Go to talk about sort of social implications of that. Well, I think so. That you you don't have to limit yourself just to. I mean, like, I think I could easily compare it to something in the real world. Like, I mean, just from the back of my mind, I know, like, there's, like, a book one of my friends read about um, North Korea and how, like, someone grew up in North Korea and that's all they knew and they were, like, brainwashed into thinking this was the norm yeah. and the outside world was, like, something completely different than it actually was and then they escaped and then they figured everything out and they were like, whoa. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So that's actually, okay, that's exactly that's a good one. Both scenarios. That would be good. I don't want to comment on that too much because that's actually a a nice a nice okay. line to develop. Okay. So who else has? So you have some ideas. Who else has a passage that they want to read? Okay. Great. I don't have a passage or something, but I just thought of something in class. Go ahead. Do so that. So in a lot of ways, the book is kind of like the Milgram experiment, where you have a person who's told that for science they have to shock somebody in the next room if they get a question wrong. Yeah, the prison experiment. And yeah, so actually no, it was the false. It was the prison. Um, and the question was, would these ordinary people, if they knew that they were hurting somebody, um, would they continue to hurt the person for a cause? In other words, for science, or because they were told to by somebody with higher authority? And the question was, and the, like, it ended up being that most people would hurt the other people and continue to hurt the other people. Long, I mean, they didn't know that the people were just actors, um, but it's an interesting question when you talk about um, 
the, the, the writer of the show, when, once he knew that the people that he was hurting, he was actually hurting, like, would he continue to stop? And in this case, yes. But, um, no, that's a, but, but would that be the same for other writers? Please. You're raising a really good point, a really good interest. You're raising the idea of the full ferment and asking whether this thing could relate to how do you change behavior? Because in the prison situation, in the caption situation, you, you didn't have that external force sort of coming in and dealing with people. You had basically a system in isolation. So the you didn't have other people coming in and saying, what the blankety-blank are you doing? Don't you realize what you're doing? You're, you can't do this like that. You actually didn't have that response. Whereas here in this novel, you have feedback. You have the people who are getting the pain actually coming back and saying, you realize what you're doing to us? So you can extend it a little bit. There's a, there's a difference between the Folsom experiment and what happens in the novel, and you can leech that out. You can actually make that connection. What do you think? I think so. Yeah, you can make it, but you have to draw it out. Right. You, have to sort, you have to draw the similarities, which you've already done, but you also have to point out the differences and then draw the implications from that. Meaning, if there are those differences, what does that tell us? That means, for example, we might have to have a feedback process. So in prison systems, for example, or in any society where people are hurting other people, the key is a feedback process. And John Scalzi talks about the nature of that feedback by having one reality come blaring into the other reality. You get the idea? So you, you look for some angle. So you might be talking about, your essay might be the need for feedback. Something like that. Okay, what else? Who else had an idea? A passage or an idea? <coughs> well, I, okay, let me, let me draw one. Let me draw one. Um, Let's go to page 144 of Red Shirts. Okay? You said 134? What's that? 144. 144. Middle of the page. And here he starts talking about, here they're talking, this is Jenkins, the hairy guy. Guy was accused of being a yeti, <laughs> who was hanging out for like as long as he could in the bowels of the spaceship in order to avoid being put on an away mission. And they were going to talk about the the issue of going back in time. Well, you can't stay in the past, Jenkins said. If you do, you'll dissolve. What? Hester said. It has to do with conservation of mass and energy, Jenkins said. All the atoms you're using now are being used in the past. If you stay in the past, then the atoms have to be in two places at the same time. This creates an imbalance and atoms have to decide where to be. And eventually they'll choose their then-present configuration because technically speaking, you're from the future, so you don't actually exist yet. Well, then Dahl was saying, what's eventually here? And Jenkins says, about six days. And Hester says, that's completely idiotic. And then Jenkins goes on, I don't make up the rules. It's just how it worked last time. It makes sense in the narrative, though. It gave Abernathy King and, King and Hartnell a reason to get their mission done in a certain dramatic amount of time. This timeline sucks, Hester said. Well, Jenkins continues, if you brought Adams forward, they would have the same problem. And... In that case, they'd choose the present, which means the thing from the past would dissolve. It's a pretty problem, actually. Mind you, that's just one of your problems. What else is there, doll ass? Well, you'll need to acquire a shuttle, which will be no small matter, Jenkins said. It's not like they'll let you borrow one for a lazy excursion, but that's not actually the hard part. Well, what's the hard part, Duval said? You're going to have to get one of the five stars of the show to come with you. Jenkins said, take your pick, Abernathy, King, uh, West, Hartnell, or Kerensky. 
Why do we need one of them for, Hester said. You said it yourself, Jenkins said. You're extras. If you try to aim a shuttle at a black hole, you know what'll happen. Do you know what'll happen? The gravitational forces will rip apart the shuttle. You'll spaghettify into a long stream of atoms sucking down to the singularity. You'll die. You'll be dead long before the spaghettification, of course. That's the end event for you. But you get my point. And then Dahl continued, And that won't happen if we have one of the main characters in the show? No, because the narrative needs them for later, Jenkins said. So in that case, when you zoom toward a black hole, you'll switch over to narrative physics. And Hester went on, has said, uh, and we're sure main characters never die, Hester said. And then Jenkins said, oh, they can die. And Hester gave him another look that, like he wanted to punch him. But not like this. When a main character dies, they, they'd make a big deal out of it. The idea that the narrative would let one of them die on a mission to go back in time to stop their own show from being made just doesn't seem very likely in the grand scheme of things. Why did I pull that passage out? What might this passage be talking about that might be relevant? In a social and political context. We sort of hinted at it earlier, but why is this passage of interest? Go ahead. I'm not sure how, but I think the key characters in the in the TV should be compared to key political figure, figures in our world. Key political figures? That's sort of an interesting connection. Go ahead. Go ahead. Um, this was actually sort of my idea for like what I was going to do my paper on. Okay. And it was, um, it's about like being trapped in someone, like a person with authorities, like their own TV fantasy. Like they can do whatever they want and like, it's um, like they become the protagonist and media even like shows them as a protagonist. Like media says, like like the article I pulled up was about um, Dick Cheney and he was like accused of um, starting, he was accused of um, starting the war in Iraq because of his um, relationship with Halliburton, which is like a defense contractor who would benefit from the war. And my idea was just like talking about how like um, we ourselves are in a sort of TV show and that we like are the low characters that are playing out somebody else's fantasy who get like and they're the protagonists. All right. Now, how would you how would you connect that? Say a little bit more about it. Say sort of connected to social, political, whatever. Like, um, I mean, if they're the people in charge, I guess then they can, um, like, my, uh, I was talking about the sacrificial effect, how, like, because these people are in charge, like, our soldiers die, lower-ranked soldiers die, and that even happens in the real world. Like, we always, like, it's a huge deal when a main character dies, or, like, politicians die, but soldiers die, and they're, like, a sacrificial effect. It's actually a very interesting idea, and you could really scale it out, but I want to hear a little bit more. I want people to give you some suggestions on how to scale it out. Who might be able to contribute to this? Go ahead. Well, I was just thinking, hypothetically, couldn't this explain why, for example, Hitler wasn't assassinated in, like, the Valkyrie plan? Has anyone seen the Valkyrie movie? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, how uh, a former German, like, cap commander or something, it was played by Tom Cruise, uh, it's based off a true story, they tried to assassinate... Um, Hitler with a bomb in like his bunker or something. Um, so hypothetically, I mean this is kind of crazy. But hypothetically, this would explain like why he didn't die there because of, like it would it would have had to be a big deal. Like the way Hitler actually ended up dying, I mean like he was like close to being caught at the end of the war, and that's that's how he he ended up killing himself, and that's like more of a big deal, I guess. So maybe that's like the explanation why he hadn't been like assassinated earlier because that wouldn't be too big of a deal or something. Yeah. Actually, among conspiracy theorists, there's actually uh, 
there's actually a debate on whether he actually died, where they said he died, for lack of DNA. Uh, there's a, a, a lot of Nazis did, in fact, escape to Argentina. And if there was going to be someone they were going to try to get to Argentina, it would have been him. <laughs> and so th there's actually some... I'm not saying it's true. I'm not saying it's true at all. I'm just saying just to sort of give you sort of more sort of thoughts about how to spin this argument in sort of more wild and interesting directions. There is actually a population out there that is wondering if, in fact, did he die there or did he die in Argentina? Um, again, we're talking about you know DNA evidence type of sleuthing on detective. I'm not big on that particular story. I don't I don't follow all the details of it. I'm just interested. I'm just interested here in bringing it up to sort of a encourage you to get as wild and as speculative as possible in 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 your writing about these things. So um, there's actually a comparison between what both of you are saying. I don't want to feed it into you though. I really want to have other people sort of pull it out. How could how could this argument here be made sort of really potent? You're actually really right on it, so I, but I just want to flesh it out a little bit more. This passage is about the importance of particular characters, right? Mm -hmm. They need one of the officers. Meaning the show is about what happens to those officers. See, the old that particular timeline didn't have the Star Trek. They had the Chronicles of the Intrepid. But it was like Star Trek where they had Captain Kirk, Spock, and Bones. Okay? So you had the medical doctor, the Vulcan, and you had the charismatic captain. Those are the three basic. Then, of course, you had the alternate. You had, a, you had the sort of minor but important people. Still, you had Uhuru. You had the, the communications officer. You had Chekhov, you had, you know, the others, so, Scotty, and so on. But those are the cast of characters that are sort of the main ones. So how do you take this argument here and sort of make it relevant to major political issues, the connection between one and the other, relevant to that passage? Because this passage actually does speak to what you're talking about. Well, what's the essence of the passage? Why did they have to bring Kerensky back? Or one of the officers, in case they, they got Kerensky. Why was it important? Go ahead. Because there's no way he could die from such a minor, or not a big deal or something. Like, such a minor thing. Okay, but well, really why? Go ahead. They also needed the uh, narrative physics to take place, because that can't happen in the real world. So. Um, they, well... Say a little bit more. Okay. Um, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but so say a little bit more. So whenever something important happens, like they go on a ground mission or whatever, um, and you have one of the five or so major officers with you, then the narrative physics, as they call it, takes over, um, and instantly, like, <laughs> the expendables, the red shirts, uh, get killed and then the major officers are fine. Yeah. So they want to take advantage of the fact that if they're all going to die, which is what would normally happen in spaghettify in a black hole, then instead of them all dying, which would include, in this case, Kerensky, they want them all to live. So by having the officer there, they'll live. Yeah, I understand what you're saying, but I want you to sort of, okay, that's okay. I'm, I'll, I, I'm hoping you might sort of put more meat on those bones. Uh, what is this whole issue of importance? Well, look. Um, Alex, when you raise the issue of two people, mm -hmm. why would one person affect the other? What would be special about that person? You mean the more important one? Yeah, that's the point. When one person affects another, that first person is important to them. Mm -hmm. 
the person isn't having problems because somebody on the other side of the planet died. No. That's a red shirt. It's someone they're close to. Someone there's an emotional connection. So what Shruti is actually raising is the issue of importance. How does the issue of importance fit into things affecting? Now, we're talking about importance on the level of people and on the level of events. But it's the same issue of importance. Go ahead. So, um, importance means like like power and ability to change events. Um, I don't know if I'm on the right track here. Continue. Well, the, the idea is that if you're going to have one timeline affecting the other, is it because of the minor things or is it because of the major thing? Remember the issue that we raised before about the atomic bomb? In a situation of multiple realities, if you, if you detonate a nuclear bomb, it would, it would affect a lot of realities. Why? Because it's important. It's big. So what John Scalzi is raising is the issue of an important person. Hitler was an important person in the 20th century. Eliminating him would have changed a lot. Do you get the idea? Whereas eliminating some Joe Schmo who never did anything in the 20th century, you wouldn't be affecting. Now, if you have a timeline, or if you don't talk in timelines, but if you have a scenario someplace in which um, something is happening that you don't want to happen, what do you do? Do you go after things that may be peripheral or not really important? For example, if you were concerned about Hitler, do you go after a foot soldier in Germany? Yeah. A corporal or something like that? The corporal is not going to make a difference. It's Hitler is going to make the difference. But at the same time, the important person makes a difference on the unimportant person. The unimportant person, actually, the unimportant person, you don't deal with the unimportant person, you go after the important person. Mm -hmm. Meaning, let's say you were to go back into another timeline and find a timeline in which none of the major wars happened in the 20th century. Okay? Well, then the issue is, if you're going to have one timeline affect the other, what is the connection between the two? You'd have to find something connecting the two. Are you going to find a small person? It won't make a difference if you change that person. Or if you go to another reality, or if you go across borders between one place, like Israel-Palestine and Europe, if you affect something small that's connecting the two places, it's not going to change anything. It's got to be a biggie. The value of important events when things get linked, either emotionally or, you know, interdimensionally, but that's the basic idea. It's the important things. It's, it's be able to target the important things. And in an interdimensional sort of situation like John Scalzi is talking about, if you go from one timeline to another, the small things are not going to make a difference. And no matter what you do in changing those things, it's not going to be a big change in the timeline that you want to change. You've got to go after the big ones. Go ahead. Go ahead. Um, it reminds me of the Foundation series and the Selden plan where all the minor events that you could ever imagine really all add up to the same consequence unless you have some major person like the mule who can affect things that isn't accounted for. That's exactly right. It's the importance of that. So the mule was not an unimportant clown. He was the mule. The guy who rewrote the, you know, the, that version of the, of, of the galaxy until he died. So here you're raising the issue of importance the importance of people, the importance of events. There are certain singular events and singular people that affect all of history. And you don't change the world unless you deal with those singular events and singular people. If you want to, do you get the idea? So you're raising that really sort of, because you're, you're talking, imagine yourself as a president of a country and you say, I want to change the way my country is evolving in a different direction. Do you mess around with the mark with the margins, or do you or do you spend time isolating what's the core and go after that part? The idea of isolate important elements. What Jenkins was doing in that passage is isolating the important elements. 
That's the only way he was going to save things in his timeline. He had to isolate the important elements and then mess with those elements. It's very important when you're writing your essay. You're isolating the important parts of the novel. You were looking at a piece about medical improvements. And I said, is that really important? Is that what the novel's all about? So this is addressing the same thing. When you do something, you have to isolate that which is important. That's the first step of powerful writing. You look at a situation and hone in on what the big element is. Go ahead. Um, I was just going to say that it kind of gives importance to less important people. This is going to sound really like convoluted at the beginning, but um, like it talks in the beginning how you know someone's son is important to him, and if you hurt the son, you hurt the person. So it's kind of something that throughout history has been kind of dangerous because it gives some, it gives you another target. If you want to target an important person, you can target someone who's close to that important person. Yeah. Okay. You're peripherally getting at that important person, but you're still the important person. Right, but it kind of gives importance to people that normally wouldn't be important if they are important to important people. Yeah, yeah. They're connected somehow. Yeah. Because of the but they're connected because you have identified the key part that is important. Mm -hmm. Does that help at all? Mm -hmm. So your essay could be called The Value of Importance or something like that. Go ahead. So are they into the whole exchange of importance? Um, doesn't this kind of like tie into the whole um, kind of concept of like a hostage situation, as in where like the bad guys capture an important person, mm -hmm. and then that means the bad guys then become the important people because they are kind of using the important person's importance to retreat to get like get yeah, a yeah, certain yeah. outcome, you know, to like kind of like get their way. Well, that's one another way you can spin it. You're, you're adding complexity to it. Um, <laughs> these are ideas that you can spin into it. I mean, these are... Don't ask for my approval on that. It's just it's another way to sort of add complexity to it. Did anyone have another passage? Say yes. Okay, well, let me read another passage then and get this, because I think we're getting some interesting discussion here, and then I'm going to really try to force people to read one. Let me jump over to page 166, Okay. Does this help, by the way, in terms of helping you focus on, like, it really affects, like, how you write. Yeah, I had no idea what I was going to write about until this Yeah. Class. And really, isolating the importance is, that's what makes an essay. That's what makes David Brooks David Brooks. That's what makes Thomas Friedman, Maureen Dowd. That's what makes them big writers. They look at the world, and in fact, this is what made Herb Block. Herb, he was a great cartoonist. They put, he put both of his names together, and Herb, he merged the last letter of Herb to Block, which is the first letter of his, of his last name, to Herb Block. Herb Block. He was a cartoonist that worked at the Washington Post for years and years and years and years and years. He was able to, in one cartoon, editorialize what was happening every single day in Washington. And the powers that be, the president, secretary of state, they trembled whenever a new cartoon would come out. Because it was such a... He had the ability to isolate that which was important and just make a picture about it. And it was the most powerful form of editorializing that existed. I mean, it was so powerful. Her block was like the most powerful opinion columnist in all of Washington, D.C., and he wasn't even writing columns. He was writing cartoons. One cartoon per day for years and years and years. Um, it's just an amazing type of background for him. Okay, let's go to page 166. Focusing on that which is important. All right. 166. And so here we have Dahl and uh, Abnett talking. So he's in. The, they're in the other reality now. Okay, they've gone back in time and in that other time stream and then they're talking about trying to explain um, the connection between this reality and what's happening. The t they're trying to, he's trying to explain the connection between the show and what's happening in the reality. Trying to explain to him, hey look, what you do in that show is killing us. Alright? Okay. The future, Abnet said, it really is, it really is like it is on the show? 
and then Dahl says, the future really is like it is on the show, but I don't know if it's really the future. But it's your past, Avnet says. We're part of your past. The year 2012, I mean. And then Dahl says, 2012 is in our past, but not this 2012. There's no chronicles of the intrepid television show in our past. It doesn't exist in our timeline. Then Avnet says, so that means I might not exist in your timeline. And then Dahl says, maybe not. And then Avnet says, so you're the only part of me there? Avnet said, the only part of me that ever existed there? And then Dahl says, I guess that's possible. Just like you're the only part of me that's ever existed here. And then Abnet says, doesn't that mess with you? Knowing that you exist and don't exist, are real and aren't, all at the same time? What do you think? Because here, they're, uh, you know, Abnet and Dahl are talking, you know, about themselves in these timelines. So what do you think is going on here? That might relate to, it. what's the important thing? Why did I isolate this and sort of, Say this is important. What do you think? Sometimes it's helpful. You know, it, I often find it useful this process to interpret dreams. Dreams are often very, very confusing. I write down my dreams and record them year after year, day after day. And a lot of times they're just bonkers. I mean, I you know, just try to figure it out. But sometimes I just force myself. And I just look at the dream and I sort of say, this just doesn't make sense. And then I sort of look up, close my eyes, clear my mind, and sort of say, let thoughts just randomly associate until I, things just sort of come into, into play. And psychotherapists actually do this with patients. They actually say, Let's randomly associate thoughts. And they start bringing up ideas and then they sort of piece them together. So sometimes to get sort of really creative, don't sort of focus in on it and really hunker down. Sometimes lean back, clear your mind and say, what could this possibly have anything to do with anything? And let it sort of, have, let ideas just sort of bubble to the surface. And then work with those as sort of the raw ingredients for something that may happen. I often find that's the only way I can interpret dreams. After I do that process, ideas come in and I say, that's it, now it makes sense. But if I was hunkering down and trying to say, let's try to find a logical connection for everything, things just might not just flow in so easily. So try it with this passage. Right now, clear your minds and just sort of think, what could this thing be where they're talking about... Let me read it real quick again. The future, Abner said, it really is like it is on the show? The future really is like it is on the show, Dahl said. But I don't know if it's really the future. But it is your past, Abner said. We're part of your past. The year 2012, I mean. Well, 2012 is in our past, but not this past. But not this 2012, Dahl said. There's no chronicles of the Intrepid show in our past. It doesn't exist in our timeline. So that means I might not exist in your timeline, Abner said. Maybe not, Dahl said. So you're the only part of me there. Abner said, the only part of me that ever existed there. I guess that's possible, Dahl said, just like you're the only part of me that ever existed here. Doesn't that mess with you, Abner asked, knowing that you exist and don't exist and are real and aren't all at the same time? Go ahead. Uh, maybe some kind of idea of self-preservation. <coughs> Where even though it's not you, it's somebody, or like, it's somebody basically like you, except not. <laughs> um, but you, you're so similar to each other that you would want to, like, I don't know, help them that they're probably going to die. Even if they're not from your real future, they're not even from your timeline, in this case. Um, just knowing that somebody is so like yourself that you'd want to help them. All right. Um, okay. Who else? What else? Let's just, let's get a few ideas out on the table before we sort of comment on them. If we comment on things after just one idea, sometimes we can end up stifling the 
the flow of ideas with other people as well. So let's let's get a few ideas out on the table first. Go ahead. Did you have your hand raised? Uh, no, but I'm, I have an idea. Okay. Um, I haven't really tied this into uh, politics yet, but um, I think I could. So, like, you said about how the the passage said about how like um, people some people didn't exist in different realities, and then I thought like um, people's um, li- like people's lives could be different. People's like timelines could be different realities. So we all have our different realities. And then if I don't know somebody in my reality, then they don't exist in my reality. So someone else could exist. And like, um, basically it was just the notion of like different, everybody, everybody having their different realities and like those realities could be combined and like if they know the same yeah. thing. You're actually raising a very interesting issue. Um, I'd really like it if someone could help them sort of pull that out a little bit more. You're raising, you're, you've got the essence of something that could be very important. But what else? Let's get some more ideas out on the table. Let's let ideas just flow. I mean, think about Abnet. What is he actually thinking about? What's what's going on in his mind? Just clear your mind and sort of let associational ideas come in. Try to be as creative as possible by 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 letting it naturally happen without trying to force it to happen. If you try to force it to happen, you can't force creativity. You've got to clear the mind and let it happen. Because creativity happens automatically. What happens is people get trained to stifle creativity. You're always taught in high school to be good, follow this pattern, do it right. Who can be creative under those circumstances when you're trying to force things into a pattern? Creativity, by its definition, is breaking the patterns. So if you're going to be finding something new and interesting in a passage, you can't do it by rigidly enforcing a pattern. You've got to let something new happen. So let's spend a little bit of moment of silence here. Let some ideas sort of pop up and see what happens. Well, let's look at it this way. Why do you think? Let's make it. Let's make it a little easier. Why do you think I picked the passage? Passage is important. Say, okay. Well, the professor is sort of weird and wacky. Why did he pick the passage? So, why do you think I picked the passage? Go ahead. Uh, I'm not sure if this is why you picked the passage, but I was trying to make sense of why. If, um, if the uh, the crew back in time, I was trying to make sense of why they would go into that other reality because I would have thought they would have gone into their own 2012, not the other realities 2012. But since their um, since um, the Chronicles of the Intrepid's reality relied on, I guess you could say this reality, um, their 2012 in a way kind of is this, is their 2012. So the two realities kind of intersect because they rely on. Each or the chronicles, of the, or I guess the chronicles of the intrepid relies on this reality. They got linked. Yeah. So in a very unlikely fashion, meaning each one wasn't in each other's time stream, mm-hmm. but they got linked across time streams, which is weird. Go ahead. Uh, uh, no, it was an interesting thought. Okay, so who had their hand raised? Go ahead. Well, I kind of thought you picked it because it, it has to do with self-identity, like whether you really exist or not, like because. When you have like the two, the, especially having two timelines. Okay. So if you exist in one and don't exist in the other, it's a question of do you actually exist at all? And so I just thought you probably picked it because it really sums it up like it raises the question what's real? And then when there's two different. You got it! That's why I picked this. It's the issue of what's real. You see, what is Agnet trying to do? He's linked emotionally to what he perceived to be 
real. There's a necessary firmness to it. What happens when you get into a relationship? What is so important about that boyfriend-girlfriend relationship? Or, you know, boyfriend-boyfriend-girlfriend-girlfriend, whatever it is. The point is that... Go ahead. Do you want to know if it's real or if it's... They want to know if it's real. You want to know if it's going to be there tomorrow or if it's just something, an illusion. People, they put their lives and hearts into the idea that something is real, something's firm. They want to believe this is real, this is firm. This is the reality as I see it. What Abnet is realizing is what he thought was real and firm isn't real and firm. So what if we were actually having, say, political ideas? And we said, we should, we have a political idea about how the world should work. They should work just like the American system. And we should just photocopy our constitution, send it out to all other countries and say, follow these rules and everything will work hunky-dory. This is what we know as real. Okay? Well, what if that isn't real? Having that disillusionment is, can be catastrophic to some people in their worldview. That's why when some person dies in a family, it affects the other people in the family because they didn't conceive of intellectually, emotionally, psychically, they, can, they didn't conceive of the family without that person. Well, it's also um, kind of the same thing. Like a lot of um, politicians and things like that or just kind of any celebrity, people have some perception of them and then when they do something that ruins their image... That's exactly right. What happened when... Monica Lewinsky and mm -hmm. Bill Clinton. I mean, the whole thing, when they do something that ruins their image. Yeah. That's exactly the point. So people build up these expectations for what is real. And what's in their mind, the beliefs, become more real than the reality. That's the passage. The beliefs are more real to people than the actual reality is. And when they realize that their beliefs are not real, it shakes their faith in the entire reality. Meaning they weren't really looking at reality. People look at their beliefs and interpret reality in terms of those beliefs. That's what the passage is talking about, to me. Do you see how you can do things? Okay, so we're out of time, but I think you all have plenty to write about. This is a good intellectual exercise, great novel, and it's also, for your age group, even my age group, it's fun. I mean, it's a fun, happy, sort of funny novel, so it's good to do. Uh, it gets us away from sort of those somber novels as well. All right, great. So um, we'll see you. Now, we're reading the next book and the last book. And what is the next book and the last book? Spin. Yeah, Spin. Spin, okay. All right, so will you read that over the weekend, and you'll hand in the thing on Monday as well, all right, for, for this novel. All right, see you Monday. Be there or be square. <laughs>